Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to this EM360 podcast. My name is Max Curtin, the Editor-in-Chief here at EM360 and your host on today's podcast. Now, in today's episode, we will be exploring the role of DevSecOps and what that plays in application security, as well as open source security and the responsibility of developers in this arena with white source. Now, the advent of DevOps has hailed as a means to have all aspects of application deployment handled by one single team. However, over time, concerns surrounding security have begun to arise. Many are feeling that security should be more of a priority for DevOps teams, particularly in regards to applications. On one hand, apps are a modern necessity to drive business success. However, on the other, they come with a host of security problems that need special attention, necessitating DevSecOps in turn. And joining me on today's podcast to lend his expertise and kind of walk us through this process, I've got Jeff Martin, who's the Senior Director of Product at WhiteSource. So Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk to us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Love talking about this. Excellent. Well, I've uh, got a fair few questions to throw you away. And I feel like a good kind of starting off point is if we kind of look at the overview of the two things I just mentioned in the introduction there. Because firstly, it's widely felt across enterprises that security is a barrier to business agility. Why do you think this has come to be? I think mainly because traditionally it actually has been. <laughs> Unfortunately, at the beginning of our industry in software, there was a couple of barriers we put up. We separated out building and checking. So we put up barriers for quality checks. And then as the industry matured a little bit more, we put up big barriers for security. Even performance was a similar barrier. Fortunately, we've matured. But that mindset of thinking of it as a barrier still, even though it really no longer is, still is prevalent. So it's a little bit of a history piece there. You know, People are a little slow to change their mind. Security used to be a activity that would slow down your ability to deliver value. And it's no longer, frankly, a big barrier. It's more embedded into our workflows and into the way we develop code. Another element to kind of get your thoughts on before we really delve into the the meat of this matter is I mentioned application security, obviously, in the introduction, which is what we're here to talk about. But it's kind of in a slight gray area. Could you possibly tell us whose responsibility application security, or AppSec as we'll refer to it, actually is? It's almost a cliche at this point, but you know, security is everybody's business, right? It's like how some companies say, everybody's in sales. Um, fundamentally, security is broken down into what I consider two roles. There's the role that everybody plays. All of your developers do need to be able to develop secure code. They need to take responsibility for making sure that the code they build is secure. And that is a very important piece. But there is a separate function in most larger organizations for application security. And ideally, that role is performing two activities. Education, making sure that everybody else does have the skills and knowledge to develop secure code, but also governance. You know, we talk a lot about shifting left and empowering developers, but fundamentally, you actually cannot, nor do you want to, shift everything left. You don't need each developer coming up with their own security policies, right? There is that centralized control 
that realistically, as you know, we keep evolving, the AppSec quote unquote department is really taking on a governance role and spreading out that policies and procedures and guidelines and education to the rest of the organization. I liken a lot to things like privacy or even legal. At the end of the day, you have a lawyer who writes the rules, but you know everybody has to follow them. And that's realistically how AppSec's falling out. So that's interesting. And you're right. I don't think it's a cliche because it is kind of the truth now that it does kind of fall to everyone's responsibility. And is that kind of a case of with this AppSec, there's still so much growth left to do within it? Yeah. And, and it's, fortunately, it's a moving target. It seems like every time we solve one problem as an industry, there's a whole new one that pops up. <laughs> um, you know, if you went back five years ago, applications weren't as integrated. Certainly 10 years ago, they were barely integrated with the other software at all. Things like the rise of mobile, the rise of microservices and APIs, the sheer amount of code that we write that is now dependent on another person. One of the phrases I always like to say is, increasingly applications are actually composed, not coded. We're using other people's building blocks. And that has changed our concerns in application security. And that change is ongoing. So building a monolithic application that didn't talk to other applications very often on your own server, you know, deployed on-premise 10 years ago, is it a completely different beast than building a API-first, microservice-driven, leveraging other people's services on a cloud system like Azure or AWS. So the security concerns we have have moved along with all that architecture changes. And every time we think that's solidified, something else comes along, right? You know, containers three years ago, four years ago, suddenly we have a whole new concern. The bright side, I guess, for any application security practitioners is we'll never go obsolete <laughs> because there's always new things, but it is very, very hard to keep up. And people and processes are always a lagging, well, they're a lagging piece compared to how fast the tech moves. You're right. That is definitely a, a growing concern across the industry. Everything changes so fast. It, it's just keeping up with it. And I think another element that obviously we need to talk about here is the DevOps element that goes along with this. So as I was kind of talking about in the introduction, there's this sense that DevOps has outgrown, you know, most security and compliance monitoring tools, which can really hinder that continuous delivery. So from that standpoint, how should organizations integrate security into DevOps and ultimately create this DevSecOps? So this is an interesting one because I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer. And there's a few different reasons why. One, not everybody has the exact same security risk. I'll phrase it that way. I care a lot, lot more about making sure that everything's embedded early in the, the cycle if I'm building a heart monitor than I do if I'm just you know building an internal application that doesn't go outside of my company. So... Fundamentally, people always ask, you know, how do I do this? Well, the answer is, like most processes, it does depend a bit on your environment, what you're doing, and what you have. But in general, integrating security into DevOps really falls into basically two big activities. The first is education. Most developers do not have secure coding training, and they do not have 
the education to understand most of the security risks. And I'll give you an easy example of that. The place I spend most of my time is on open source security. Most applications have something like 80% of their code is based on open source. And you sort of make an assumption, especially a novice developer, that open source is going to be secure because lots and lots of people are looking at it. But the fact of the matter is, it's even worse, it's public when things aren't secure. So educating and making the developers understand that not just their own code, but how they use other code and what other code they use is a security risk and needs to be mitigated. And giving them the skills to actually do that is something that is very, very fundamental to putting the SEC in DevSecOps. And I think a lot of that responsibility, as, as I kind of pointed out earlier, is on the, the AppSec group, right? That education should be the main function of a security organization inside a large enterprise or even a medium one. But the other side of that is realistically, you have to give them the right tools. You can't just educate them and hope they work okay. In the same way that you can't have everybody using their own IDEs and different languages in the same code base, you have to have the same security practices and guidelines throughout your organization. So that really does mean you have to uh, essentially control, right? Process. Process is very, very important. Embedding the tooling in your process so that you are not going through separate checks or you're separating it out as a barrier, God forbid, after you've actually done the DevOps, pushing all of that earlier into the cycle, earlier in the SDLC, is another really important piece of enabling DevSecOps. I'm glad you kind of mentioned process there because obviously that's such an important element to kind of have and for organizations to follow. And I'm going to ask you another kind of large question which doesn't have a set answer to really, but from your perspective, could you walk us through what the typical, you know, we'll just keep that term typical, DevSecOps workflow should look like? Sure. I already did my caveat of, you know, your mileage may vary, right? Um, but um, <laughs> yeah. you know, fundamentally, the DevSecOps workflow should be, there's a principle, security by design. That starts before you even code. What you actually design and how you're going to build it needs to be secure from day one before you even write a line of code or as you're writing the code. That means, given that around 80% of all code is open source now, you need to understand what you're putting into your code, which means mostly making sure you're using the most up-to-date versions of different libraries or components making sure you understand before you even put it in there, are there already known security bugs, known security problems? There's no reason in the world to not give yourself a very stable, easy to mitigate base by making sure you understand what you're using to build because it saves you time down the line. And that's one of the big focuses of DevSecOps, right? Is how do I get security without costing myself time? The easiest way is to be proactive and make sure you're only putting known good things in at the beginning. So that's where the DevSecOps workflow starts. But as you go through your different DevOps, DevSecOps, or SDLC phases, whichever, however you want to phrase it, where you're actually building the code, 
maybe you're actually bringing it into containers and you're utilizing you know a real container strategy every step along the way needs checks and i don't mean it needs to have some external security group looking at it i mean inside your actual pipelines your build process your container deployments there has to be automated security checks you have to know what's in every phase what you've introduced because there's no such thing as an SDLC phase that is not introducing new code. What you've introduced, what's in there, what's your bill of materials, and is it vulnerable? Do we know if this is vulnerable yet? And then as you go forward through that flow, you also want to check your proprietary code, of course, but using good old static tools, et cetera. But fundamentally, the focus should be on the pieces that you're consuming externally. The pieces that you're basically saying, I trust this other group, person, company, whatever it is, you have to know what you're putting in at every single phase, and you have to check every single phase. That's all the way through post-deployment. Once you deploy the application, in the modern world, there's no such thing as applications just ship and they're done. New vulnerabilities are found on old code, things get updated, fundamentally, you have to have that whole workflow loop right back into the beginning again. Standard agile stuff here where you're deploying, monitoring, and then remediating. That's a great kind of overview and a workflow that hopefully a lot of organizations are agreeing with right now. You know, in my experience, what I see is a lot of people forgetting certain phases. I mentioned containers. Um, it kind of goes back to you know what I was talking about. It's hard to keep up with the tech, right? I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and uh, they said they were started deploying some serverless things, you know, Lambda functions. And I said, oh, well, how are you securing that? And they're going, securing that? I, I don't have a handle on containers yet. <laughs> Never mind serverless. And when I dug in why, it's because containers was a completely separate team. Uh, okay. And so people forget these little extra pieces, but they are part of one workflow and have to be treated that way. Yeah, I think that's key. It's We mentioned it previously in another answer. It's that process. It's making sure everyone's on the same page because the minute they're not, as you say, something gets forgotten or that's someone else's department to worry about. So I think you're 100% correct there of having unity in processes is so important. Or somebody creates an exception for a specific kind of technology, which is, the I think, one of the big bugaboos. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Another thing you mentioned in there, which which was interesting, is obviously open source. And uh, around 80%, did I hear correct, is kind of the, the norm now? Yeah, it's rough. It varies on application to application. But, you know, on average, it's around 80% of code that ships is based on open source. Okay. So, yeah, because from my understanding, it, it, it's obviously very popular in this area because of the helps of, you know, the absence of having a vendor lock-in and really the cost efficiency that comes with it, which is fantastic. So around open source, how does open source compare in terms of safety against proprietary code? It's really strange because it's a double-edged sword. You actually have more eyes looking at it than you would proprietary code because more people use open so, you know when it's open more, a lot of people use it. So it's nice because you do get more people who care about the security of the code. In a way you're distributing the vigilance you have to do, right? But the flip side of that is open source is well open. It's public. So when something is found, you know, a big vulnerability 
it's disclosed publicly. Yes, it's also fixed, but it's almost always fixed by a new version. If bad actors are not dumb, most of the actual vulnerable exploits out there are based on open source because why should I have to, as a bad actor, go and do any sort of actual work and investigation if I have this giant stream of known vulnerabilities that are public going out there? And as a bad actor, I know people aren't good about keeping up to date, knowing that there's security vulnerabilities. So I can leverage that and with relatively minimal effort, you know, take a vulnerability that was handed to me on a silver plate that I had to do no effort to go get and attack a large amount of people, because a lot of people use it, with stuff that I'm pretty sure nobody's updated. It's the number one kind of attack surface because of that. It's just a lot easier to take a known vulnerability in an open source component than it is to go you know, start ripping apart somebody's code trying to find a vulnerability. Okay, then. So if we kind of take that a step further and look at the business consequences, then. So if a business do not successfully integrate security, and especially things we're talking about open source security, into their DevOps efforts, what, what consequences are we looking at here? Unfortunately, it's almost an unknown risk, which is the worst kind. There's plenty of news stories out there of actual open source exploits that have been leveraged, right? Um, you know, there's tons of them. The actual impact on the business, though, tends to be greater than what you actually see in those news stories for a couple of reasons. But the main one is, it's like cockroaches. If one exploit shows up in your code and people actually you know, attack it, there are other ones you don't know about. The business impact can be as high as you don't have a business anymore. And that should sound scary. Realistically, in our modern culture, we have finally realized the value of data. You see this in things like privacy as well as security, but those are two sides of the same coin. We know it's just ingrained into our corporate culture and even our personal lives, the value of data, which means we have an expectation that people we give our data to are keeping it secure. Security is something that is never done. It's hard. It takes a lot of effort. And the only way to actually keep up with it is by a very complete, thorough process that is as automated as possible and as fast as possible. You don't have time when a vulnerability is disclosed to wait two weeks to fix it. The only way to actually do this effectively and safeguard the data that you have, in a lot of cases, you're safeguarding it for other people. The only way to do that is through an effective DevSecOps effort with a nice, clean workflow like we've talked about, with the right policies and procedures in place, and with tons of feedback to try to make that effort continually better. Just realistically, it's no longer optional to be secure because we all have data and we all use data and most of our businesses are built on data. And at the same time, we have to be more secure. The pressure on companies to make sure people's data is secure has never been higher. You know, it's glance at a news story and it's all about, you know, people's data, keeping it straight, keeping it secure, making sure you're only using it for the proper purposes. Data is now part of our culture. 
Excellent. And I think that's very key. Data is such a monumental thing that businesses deal with nowadays. You've got to make sure those processes are in place. And that's what we keep coming back to, isn't it? That's what we keep talking about here. Processes, procedures, making sure everything's in line and kind of having that clear message throughout is the only real way to kind of have success and safeguard against all of this. So I guess my final question to wrap up this podcast is... We've been speaking about AppSec and and DevSecOps. I think it's good to look ahead. And you've mentioned a lot of issues that are happening now, and there's a lot of good things that are happening to resolve them. But what does the future look like for DevSecOps? So honestly, I think it's going to look a lot like what we've seen previous, right? So whenever I try to predict the future, I like to look at the past, find a model. And we've gone through some of these kinds of transformations before. You know, the original Agile transformation, our move from traditional Agile into DevOps can be seen this way as well, where essentially we collapse the roles, right? You'd have different people in development and ops, and then we decided to combine them all, and now we have DevOps, right? Security is going to be that as well. You're not going to have individual security engineers on each team trying to, you know, work inside that scrum team and, and you know, they're the security guy. Security becomes everybody's issue. We've seen this in the past about five to seven years with quality as well, software testing, right? Where we are seeing the decline of traditional QA groups because we're making the developers do better unit testing and automated testing. We're going to see the same thing with DevSecOps, where developers who don't have the basic security skills are at a disadvantage in the market. And it'll eventually get to the point where that is just necessary to be to, as part of your job as a developer in the same way it's necessary to know how to use APIs nowadays. So realistically, that's where I think we're going to end up. And I don't see the pressure on companies from a business level getting any less. Uh, I think it's actually going to keep ramping up. You've seen this in the past few years with you know, how we treat data. Security breaches are now major news when they happen. They're not you know, hidden off on the side. Privacy breaches are driving things like our politics. Fundamentally, the ratcheting up of data protection, which is what security is for, is going to be increasing pressure for the next foreseeable future, at least. Excellent. I think that is a perfect note to end on and a, and a good overall showcase of maybe what we can be seeing in the next couple of years. So Jeff, all I can say is thank you so much for taking the time to come onto this podcast and kind of uh, walk us through all of this and explain your views. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to this. If you want to find out more about what we've spoken to about today, do make sure you check out whitesourcesoftware.com. We'll be back soon with another episode Make sure you go to em360tech.com for more great content. You've been listening to the EM360 podcast. For more great content, head on over to em360tech.com.